I want to welcome all of you to our podcast, From My Kitchen Table, which is both inspired and created by our successful and award-winning Women Create magazines. For those of you who do not know me, I am Jo Packham, a small-town homegrown girl who had no big dreams of being the creator and editor-in-chief of your magazines, Where and What Women Create, among which we have profiled over 745 women from around the world in over 265 books and magazines. I am so thankful that you are here joining us today. Our podcast, which is for and all about you, will be coming to you weekly. So please listen on your platform of choice. The guests we have are visionaries who consist of artists, designers, foodies, and entrepreneurs each taking us through the ups and the downs of living a creative life. I will be introducing you to those in our industry, some well-known and some you have never met. These women have crafted amazing works of imagination, transformed cooking and baking into an art form, built successful businesses, inspired entire communities, and each has a story to tell of perseverance and triumph that will help each of us on our own personal journey. So welcome to From My Kitchen Table. This is the place to come together, to learn, and to share the passion, the process, the inspiration, the wisdom, and the journeys of living a creative life. I was thinking about it when I was talking to our guests before recording, and I know that I say at the very beginning what an honor it is for me to have all of the women that I have, and men, those that I have on the podcast in the magazines. And I don't want it to sound redundant. I want it to sound sincere because the women that we feature are, each one of them have a special place in my heart, are amazing at what they create, are leaders in their field. I mean, each and every one of them deserves the same accolades. So I'm not being kind by all the things I say at the beginning of the podcast, I'm being quite sincere. It's just that we are so blessed to have so many women who are so talented and so authentic. And that's the way I feel about our guest today, Rachel, who is a children's book author and illustrator who goes by the pen name P. Marin. And she is the author illustrator of the acclaimed Pig and Chick series. She's an SCBWI, which I had to look up. It's the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators Award recipient and was recently featured in the winter edition of our magazine, Where Women Create. She lives in Huntington Beach, California with her husband and their son. She affectionately refers to as the domestic zookeeper. When not spending time with the family and friends, you can find P. Marin in her studio, writing and drawing and believing anything is possible. With much going on in the world today, P. Marin no longer believes it's only the little ones in need of hope. So with her latest book, The Goal is Hope, she's trading in her children's book hat for one with a wider brim big enough to cover us all. Rachel, welcome, welcome, welcome to From My Kitchen Table. It is such an honor. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I am so thrilled to have you here. And I have to tell our readers, we're going to get into the story of your children's books. and But I have to put a plug in for this new one about hope because the goal is hope. 
Um, I am blessed that that Rachel sends me some of her books in the mail. And when she sent this one, it touched my heart in ways that I haven't been touched for a very long time. So thank you for what you write. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for sharing it all. It, you are amazing. Thank you. It's a dream that took a long time to come to fruition. So I'm, I'm deeply appreciative for every moment of it and every um, kind word. So thank you. I really do appreciate it. <laughs> you know what? Anytime you need a kind word, just call me. I will give you a million kind words, right? <laughs> so I want, I am so fascinated by you and your story. And I know it was in the magazine and I know several people have read it, but I also know that it's much more important when all of you tell your stories yourselves. So I want you to tell the story about two stories. One about being an artist and how that all started, and two about your studio and the history behind all of that. Okay, so I think um, at a very young age, I, I knew like that, that I was an artist. I loved writing and drawing and, and all of that. Um, but then there came a time when I was told that you can't make a living as an artist and like, and I I felt this seriousness of, of life hit me and, and like this idea that, oh, like I have to be financially productive in order to succeed in life. And, um, and so uh, my mom had told me at one point that like uh, everybody needs a secretary, like that that was a, a good, a good gig. And so I'm like, okay. And, and, and I, I wore many different hats for a long time. Um, and then I became a court reporter. And I just, it was not a good fit. It was like trying to fight, fit in a size zero dress and being like, it just doesn't seem to be working. Like I can't get into this. It and is the most uncreative profession in the world today. I, think. I was, I was mortified by it, quite honestly. Like I would, it was the time where you had a pager um, and not a cell phone and they would page you if they had like an emergency deposition. And I, I can remember I would, turn the pager off and like go close the blinds and hide in my house and be like, Oh, like, please nobody find me. Like I just, and, and so we had our, um, well, okay. Back up this. Tell me if I go too long here, but I, I, um, was doing the court reporting and I was so, um, I was just off track. I was lost. And, um, so I, I started walking this track by my house at a local high school. And I believe there's something bigger than us that, that puts something on our heart. That's just why we're here, something we're made to do. And, and I would walk around this track and I, I was talking to the universe, my higher power. I, I was just like, what, what do you want me to do? This can't be it. Like you couldn't have dropped me on this earth and said like, this is what you're meant to do because I'm so miserable. Like, I don't believe this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, just tell me whatever you want, I'll do it. And I got like this, this whatever wave hit me, this voice in my head, this, and it said, go apply at Hogue Hospital. And I thought, and it's like a nearby hospital. And I'm like, okay. Like, I don't know. I don't know why, but at the time I, when I was court reporting, I was trying to get pregnant. It wasn't happening. I was just like stressed out. And I went home and I, I Googled Hogue Hospital and I found um, some jobs in the food and nutrition department. And I thought, well, 
I kind of had wanted to be um, considered being maybe like a registered dietitian. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to go find out about. So I went to Ho Gospel and I applied for a food and nutrition assistant. And I waited and I thought, okay, this is it. We're making the change. And I got the letter in the mail that said, you're overqualified. And I thought, <laughs> okay. So I went back to the track the next day and I said, I hate to be rude, but you're, you were wrong. I applied and they said no. So now what? And, and I'm walking and I got that same feeling of go apply at Hogue Hospital. And I'm like, okay. So I went home and I called the food nutrition department and, and I got the department secretary on the phone. And I said, I don't know what to say other than I applied. They said, I'm overqualified and I believe I need to work there. And, and she said, hold on. And she came back and she goes, come in for an interview. And I came in and I met her boss and they said, okay, you can be the department secretary. Like we'll put you in as a department secretary, but we have this other project we need someone to work on and we'll give you a dollar more than we were advertising for. And I started working there and within two years, I was um, giving birth to our son at the hospital. And I thought, oh, like that's, that's where I needed to be. And, and then um, when I brought our son home and I was, uh, I was rocking him in the middle of the night and his name is Marin. And that's where the Marin comes from with the P Marin. And I was rocking him and, and I uh, was looking at his like little tiny fingers and toes. And I'm, and I'm just thinking, where are you going to leave your footprints and your fingerprints in this world? And and I just hoped it would be in a place that mattered, like living that life beyond his wildest dreams. Like, and I thought, if I want that for him, like, I know you can't tell a child how to do something or what to do. You have to show them, like, they're going to always look at what you're modeling. And, and I thought, okay, Prince Marin. And, um, and I, it, that's what the P for print. P Marin stands for, it's for prints, like your fingerprints and your footprints. And where will you leave your, your prints in this world? And, and I thought that night, whatever I do, I'm going to call it Prince Marin to remind me why I'm doing this. I am going to show this child how to, and I didn't take any big action for that first year, but like after his first year of life, I woke up in the middle of the night with this story about this guardian angel duck. And I got up and it was a rhyming story and I started writing it. It just poured out of me and I thought, okay, this is it. And I, I joined like a writer's critique group and, and I took it there and I showed them and they're like, oh, this is very good, but you should try it in prose. Like, and I didn't even know what prose was. I went home and I looked it up and I stuck the, the, the writing in a drawer because I was not used to any any feedback on anything like this was the first thing I'd done in a long time and but it was the start and and so I I kept like writing and um and so that's kind of the beginning of how it started for me with the the writing and the drawing came years later but but it was like an Tell the story of the drawing too because I had not heard the story of the writing I did not read that but which is very touching, but tell the story of the drawing too, will you? Yes. So my son was in, uh, it was like third grade when um, 
they have a program at his uh, elementary school and it was called BFF, Best Foot Forward. And it was a reading program and I volunteered there. And we would interview the kids when we got there about the books they read. And, um, and it happened to be Dr. Seuss's birthday when I went in. And I said, oh, like, how are they celebrating Dr. Seuss's birthday? And they said, they're not. And I'm like, <laughs> like, that's a travesty. And, and I hadn't drawn for a very long time, but I, I knew I could pull, pull off a cat in the hat. And so I grabbed the book off the shelf and I started to draw a, on this whiteboard, a giant cat in the hat. And I was writing happy birthday, Dr. Seuss. And, and as I was drawing this cat, I could feel this, this little boy behind me. And, and he was, he was like, he was so intently watching and I knew what he was going to ask because it's exactly what I would have wanted to ask someone. And so when I finished drawing, I turned around and, and he said, are you an artist? And I, and I looked at him and, and I had had other people ask me this before. And, and I would immediately say, no, like my first didn't like deny, deny, deny. And but, but I knew like with a young boy or a young child, you can't say that because they're asking because it's on their heart and they, something they're interested in. And so I'm like, I have to own it. And I said, yes, I am. And then I looked at him and I said, are you? And he said, yes, I am with this giant smile. And I thought I knew it, like I knew it. And, and, and it was in that moment that I'm like, I have to own this part too. Like, because once you say it, I think you like you've opened a door that, that just shouldn't be closed. And so after that, I went home and I made this commitment. Um, I had written some books called Pig and Chick, and I, I made a commitment like that I was going to illustrate them at that point, And I was all in. I love those two stories. So when you wrote the books, when you became a writer and you wrote the books, were you going to initially send them out to have somebody else illustrate them or what were you thinking um I don't know uh I think I had thought in the beginning somebody else would illustrate them but I think I really wanted to and when pig and chick came along I had gone to a conference and there was an editor there and she was talking about like like how she acquired a manuscript, like what it had to have. And for her, it, she had to want to like marry the characters because she's like, that's how much time I'm going to spend with them. It's going to be like a marriage. I'm going to wake up with them. I'm going to go to bed at night with them. And she said, I have to want to marry them. And, and Pig and Chick were the first, um, the first characters that I thought I'd marry you. If you asked, I'd say yes. And, um, and so I knew that like, for them, I was willing to go to any lengths to, to figure out how to do this. And, and, and I knew nothing like I, I, I didn't go to art school. So, but I just, I made that commitment. I'm, I'm all in, like, I'll learn whatever I need to along the way. And I, I went to, um, I went to a local farm. That was like my first step to observe pigs and chickens. And I started drawing them and and, and I remember um, as I, and, and it's one thing to draw the character like facing forward, but I needed to learn to move them to the side because they were going to be doing things in the book. And, 
And I remember my son asking me at, at one point, he goes, so you went to the farm to observe the pigs and chickens and how they move. And he goes, at what point did you decide the pigs should be standing up walking around? <laughs> I'm like, well, that's a, that's creative liberty, you know? And, but I, I just, I'm like, I, I think once I made that commitment, it, I was going to learn everything. And I, and I did, I started like drawing everything and it, it's quite a process. It's, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I kind of fell in love with like each step as it came and there was like the rough sketches. And then there was the, um, transferring them like on a light board onto watercolor paper, because I had decided it, um, at one point I had, I had done a book prior to pig and chick and it never, I never did anything with it. It, it, um, what I learned from it though, was that I had done it in marker and I had done it in, um, like bright reds and because the questions that I were, was asking myself at that point is what colors do kids like what colors? And I'm thinking bright colors, kids love bright colors. And, and so I did this book and at the end of it, I'm like, I can't stand this book. And the problem was I don't like bright colors. And I'm like, if I want someone else to fall in love with something, I have to fall in love with it first. And so with pig and chick, the palette that I picked was, was very much, um, colors that I like. There's, there are no bright colors. Uh, even the barn I'm like, well, a barn should be red, but I'm like, it's going to be like a rust color, like fall leaves, because that's what I like. And, um, and so I Googled how to watercolor because I decided I like, I love that medium. There's just, mm, I'm finding more and more that there's a, like, you can just let the paint do its, the work itself. Like, and there's, um, there's always room for things not to turn out, but that's like the funnest part because you don't know how they're going to turn out. And so I Googled how to watercolor. I, I watched some tutorials and then I, I started painting and, and each, with each book, I would learn something new. Like with the first book, I did all of the painting in stages. So like I would paint this one and then the next day I'd come back and I'd paint another one. And, but the colors, if you look at them, they're not completely consistent because to mix the paint again, I realized, oh shoot, they don't ever come out exactly the same. And, and so like with the second and the third and the fourth, I, I would paint in one day, like everything, I would mix a big batch of paint so that all the colors. Are the same. So I, I learned a lot along the way. And then, um, stories are absolutely fabulous. So tell me how many versions I, I know with some artists when they're trying to create a specific character, of some kind that I will, when, when I used to go on all the photo shoots in the old days, I went on every single photo shoot of every single person in the magazine, because I felt like it was important that they knew how important they were to me. But what I, a consistent theme that I saw in artist studios who are painters or with a colored pencil or whatever, is when they were trying to do a character they would have a board with, I don't know, sometimes it was only two or three, sometimes it was 50 different renditions of the character before they actually decided on the final character, because that's a commitment. That's like every book from there on, right? So how long did it take you to, uh, after your view, uh, observing pigs and chicks, <laughs> how long did it take you to come to the final? Because I, I love I love your characters. I mean, I love the little animals. They're fabulous. So did it just happen or was it a process of elimination? 
Um, okay, well, pig and chick, they actually like the idea for pig and chick, it, it came before the story. And like I was doodling one day and I drew a pig and a chick and they were sitting at a bus stop. And, um, and the one thing that I knew really clearly early on was that chick wanted to be extremely round and, 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 and chubby. She wanted to be a chubby chick. And, and so I, I knew that about her. And so I had, I had drawn these characters sitting at a bus stop and I knew nothing about them. It was before their stories had been written, but I liked them. And, and I thought, I, I really like you too. I don't know where you're going. You're sitting at a bus stop, but like, I want to go get on the bus and go with you. And, and so I, I thought, I'm just going to tuck them in a drawer and I'll wait and see what happens. And then I would be doing dishes or walking or doing something that took no brain power. And all of a sudden I would have a thought and I'd be like, huh, that's something that chick would say, or that sounds like something pig would do. Or, and I, and I had, um, just these scraps of paper or this, I had one notebook and I would, I would just jot everything down in there. And, and if I didn't have my notebook, I would put it on a piece of mail and I would stick it in there. And I, it was so messy, but that's what made it, I think, possible for me to, to do, because when I have like a, try and keep everything very neat, like it, my brain doesn't work like that. They just come in like bits and pieces. And so finally, after doing that for enough time, I thought I'm ready to write a story. And I had like a vague outline in my head. And I, I took um, that notebook, like it were a patchwork quilt. And, and I took like the pieces of dialogue from there. And I, and so the, the characters actually evolved from that one sketch that I made. So I took that and I just tweaked it a little, but I felt like they kind of came in full form. Like, so with other things that I've written, like with the Halloween book, uh, there's a ghost in there. And that took me so many tries to get the ghost. Like I was practicing drawing fabric. Cause I'm like, I think I want him to have like a sheet on him or, and, and then at one point I made him like a man that was more opaque and, and I just, that took a lot, but pig and chick showed up pretty much true to who they were going to be. And, and I just stuck with that. And I made, I had to make chick's head smaller because the body needed to be bigger so that it really looked round. Cause that was the only <laughs> thing I knew was that, that she wanted to be round. I love the fact that she wanted to be round and that yeah. we don't all have to be tall and skinny, right? Yes, yes. And I have I have had my my challenges with food and eating and body image and weight and, and all of that. And so the fact that she wanted to be around, I was I was like, I'm gonna embrace this because I think this is a lesson I need to learn to to appreciate myself and all of my curves. So you are very wise. Very, very wise. Let's talk for a minute about um, hope and the the theme of this this book and you going from children's books to adult books. Let's talk about that for a sec. So I had written Pig and Chick and uh, the Halloween book and but I had a, I had a friend who she loved my stripy yoga girls that I do. Um, I had years ago started uh because after I did pig and chick 
I thought like after I'd done like three books that I would have a little bit more confidence. And what I was noticing is that my head would be like, well, sure you can draw a pig and a chicken, but can you draw anything else? And can you move them around? And, and I was sitting at the table and I, and I thought, well, I guess we'll find out. And, and I drew these stripy characters doing just moving, just movements. And, and I'm like, oh, I like them. And, and so I kept drawing them because it was a way for me to practice moving things around the page. And I had had uh, some people ask me if I would take my Instagram posts and put them into a book. And so I had done like this 200 page book and put it together with all my stuff. And I thought, I just don't like it. It's not right. And, and so I scrapped it. And I remembered my friend kept asking me for this book with my stripy yoga girls. She's like, it doesn't have to have any words. I just want these girls and I want this. And, and, and one day I woke up and I'm like, I could do that. I could do that. And I could, um, I could put some of the quotes that I've, I've written for Instagram and I could put those in the book. And then maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll just make smaller books instead of a 200 page book, trying to put everything in there. I'll just make smaller books. And so I did, the goal is joy, um, with that friend in mind. And I sent her the book and, and then I published it and I thought, I like this. Like I, I love the idea of being able to take a theme and to work around that. And so for me, I just felt like that's what the world was lacking. Like what I, what I was lacking was, was hope and, and to know that, um, like we're okay. We're and and I think in the beginning of the book, like the first line is like, rest assured, you're exactly where you need to be. And and that's easy to believe when things are going well, but when they're not, that's a very hard thing to believe. And and I'm like, if I could just read that one page over and over and over, like I'm good. And and so the goal is hope um, came from that series. Well, it's uh, spot on. I don't know the right word to use it. It's so appropriate. I think we are all still suffering a little bit from, you know, the isolation of COVID. And I think artists especially um, are used to gathering in groups and being together and feeding off each other. And I know for me, it was extremely isolating and um, terrifying at times it was like am I losing myself in all this quiet or you know whatever so I think the message that you give to people is absolutely incredible tell us a little bit about so you've told us how you started all this and you told us that you didn't want to be a court reporter but have you ever been without hope in your life I think that for me there've been a lot of times I've felt that because I think that anytime we turn our back on who we are, there's, whether you know it or not, I'm like, I, I think there's a hole in there. And to me, that feels like a, a loss of hope, like that, that, that hole. Um, and so I've done like a lot of different things. And I think it's just part of the journey. Like it's part of the process. And, and so I've been like a secretary. I stuffed envelopes. I taught at a college. I like, I did so many different things, but, and I learned something from each one because I'm, I'm just someone who's, who believes that everything is here to teach us something. But, but 
in all of those moments, I just felt like there's got to be more like, and, and that led me to that track walking and, and, and praying and thinking there's got to be something like it, this can't be it. And, and I think at that point I was in denial of who I was. Like I'd forgotten. It'd been so many years. I'd tried on so many different hats. I had completely forgotten who I was and what I loved. And, and so I think there were a lot of times that, that I felt like I could have used a little more hope. Um, and I think that's why that, that book came like the, the joy book took a little bit more plotting and planning and the hope book just came. And my friend said, she goes, that one happened really fast. And I said, yeah, I think it, it knew what it needed to be. So do you ever, do you ever in this, I mean, so now you're very, very accomplished, um, very respected, very successful. Do you ever still have those doubts today? Do you think you should be doing something else with something else in a different direction? Or are you for at least the time being very content with producing magnificent pieces of literature? <laughs> um, I, I think it's in my DNA. I think it's in my DNA to lack confidence and to doubt myself and to have fear. I think that just comes very naturally to me. And guilt is another one that just can settle in like nothing. But um, I feel like I've learned how to manage those feelings a little bit better. So like one of the things I did, um, I made, and I know this is a podcast, so they won't necessarily be able to see this, but I made this little chair out of uh, twigs from my avocado tree. And I got this little tiny teacup and saucer and I put it like in my studio and it's, it's a chair for fear. So when fear shows up, I no longer fight it and try and get it to go away. I just look at it like it were a small child tugging at my skirt, wanting some attention. And I say like, oh, like, welcome, come in, come in, come in. You're, you are welcome to come in and have tea with me but you need to be quiet if you're going to stay because I have work to do. And, and so for me, it, like those things have never gone away, but I've, I've learned to manage them. And I think that different experiences have helped me learn to manage them. Like I, when I started pig and chick, I was, uh, I, I didn't want to paint the, the whole thing all at once because if like I painted something wrong, it would ruin the whole thing. So what I was doing is painting pieces and then cutting them out with scissors by hand and collaging them together so that if I messed up on a pig, I could make another pig and put it in. And, and, and I was doing this like every last pig and chick, every last teacup and saucer cut out with scissors by hand. And it was excruciating. Like it was so much work. And a friend of mine looked at what I was doing and she's an illustrator and she's like, you really need to learn Photoshop. And so I said, okay, if that's what I need, then I, I will go learn Photoshop. And so I ended up, um, at the adult school um, in my city, sitting next to this little old man who was hard of hearing, and he had decided to take Photoshop to preserve photos of his late wife. And, and because he couldn't hear, every time the teacher would give a direction, he would look at me and he would say, what did she say? And I would repeat exactly what the teacher had just said to him. And he would look at me and he would go, oh, you are very good at this. Like, <laughs> like I had made up the direction. And, and we did this for weeks and weeks. And me, like 
repeating back and, and him saying, oh, you are so good at this. And by, I think at the end of our time together, I started to believe it. And, and so I think that people come into our lives to kind of remind us that we've got this. And, and so I think those kinds of things, just learning how to manage them, I don't know that I'll ever be free from them. And I'm okay with that today, but, but I do want to be able to move my feet because I think that somebody had told me fear and excitement manifest the same way in the body. Um, but for me, um, that shift happens between fear to excitement when I'm moving my feet. It's action. That's like the, the magic ingredient. And I, I know this because I, when I was, uh, I signed up to teach at a college and I was going to be teaching court reporting. And one of the things that they, we had to do was you had to have a stopwatch in one hand and you were taught, you had these um, marks that you were keeping time as you read aloud to the class. And then the, the other hand was going to be using a light board. And it was like multitasking, tasking on steroids. And I thought, how am I ever going to be able to do this? And And so I shadowed somebody throughout the summer and I would come home with this just like anxiety that would raise up and it would be like in my throat choking me. And, and so I, I would just go practice and I would, I'd have, have this fake light board that I made and the stopwatch and I'd be reading aloud and I, I would just keep doing this. And then it, as I like, the more I would do it, I could feel a shift like, Oh, this could be fun. Like, as I would get the hang of it, but as soon as I would stop doing it, that anxiety would, and I, I'd jump back in, I'd start practicing again. But the more I practiced, like I could get a, the, the bigger that gap could be like from me having to do it to the anxiety rising. And so I really believe that, that if we're afraid to do something, we jump in and we do it. And then the more we do it and the more we practice the shift happens and, and we can become excited about what we're doing. You really are very wise. You know, I, I'm so impressed by the way you the way you handle fear and hope and the way you think things through and how you believe in your instincts. I mean, some of us uh, spend way too much time doubting what we think, the direction we think we should go because we don't understand it, right? So your story mm -hmm. about walking is is very inspirational. I mean, I'm so happy you shared that with our listeners. I hope a thousand people hear that because Thank they you. need your wisdom and your you. and your willingness to listen people aren't willing to listen you know to themselves or yeah. what's out there they think something else is happening so i don't want to get too far off track but <clears throat> with knowing what you should do i would love you to tell the listeners the story of your studio and how that all happened and what it was based the experience it was based on as a young child or a young adult i'm not sure how old you were yeah. So when I was growing up, I, I was very young. I, I loved to go into my closet and I would bring my pen and my paper in there and I would, I would, I would set it up like it was my studio. And I just loved being in there. And it was such a small closet. And it was like, I literally could just fit my body and fit my pen and paper and maybe set up like a few stuffed animals or something so that like there was community. And, and I just remembered doing that and loving that. And then, um, but I, I didn't have a studio at home. I, and when I decided to start writing and drawing, um, 
and I was making the pig and chick books, I did all of that at the kitchen table. And I would set up, I had like an old wicker clothes hamper and a TV tray that, that leaned and, and I would paint there and I would spread all the drawings to dry on the table. And I, and I worked there while I, I would wait for everybody. My son would, I'd take him to school. My husband would leave. And then I would set everything up, all the paints, get it all ready. And then I would spend the day painting. And then I would, I would have to time it like, um, because I've, I find that like when I'm writing and drawing, I can lose track of time. And there were a couple times, like my son would walk home from school. I was supposed to pick <laughs> him up and he would come in and he goes, so you've been writing again, huh? And, and, and so I, I would set a timer and I would, and I would like rush to clean everything up before I had to pick everybody up because I didn't want, um, I didn't want things to get put on the paintings and, and them to get ruined. So I'd clean everything up and it was like, nobody knew what I had been doing that day. And, and I did that for a very long time. And then I remembered that, that closet that I used to paint. In, and I thought, you know, like I could do that. Like I have a closet. It's not huge. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's literally my arms stretched out. That's how big it is. But I knew it would be big enough. And, and so I decided that I was going to get rid of all my clothes, get rid of everything because it was more important for me to have a studio or a space that I could call my own and, and leave things set up. And so I ran into my closet with trash bags and I just started bagging all my clothes. And, and then once I got rid of everything that I could let go of, I, I started dragging things in and I had these crates that I was dragging in and I, I, um, I had my desk. It's, it's really big. And, and I think I had it like halfway down the hallway and my husband and son came in and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, <laughs> just grab the other end. Like, let's go. We're, we're building a studio. And I think at that point, there was so much conviction in my voice. Like this was happening and I knew it. And, and I knew that if I let the moment get away from me, it might not happen. And so I was like a drowning person grabbing the life raft. I'm like, get the other end of the thing, you know, we're, <laughs> we're moving it. And, and it was like, they moved it in and, and I put the little twinkly lights up and I, and I started cutting out like magazines that inspired me. And I started sticking them on the wall and I, and it just became like this, this magical place where, where I could, where I could go. And, and the idea that I, I can leave things set up and, and I still sometimes will go out to the kitchen table because there's a lot of room out there. And, um, or I have another, um, desk in my living room that has a computer and I'll do my, all the Photoshop out there. And, but the magic I think happens in the little closet because it's just my space. It's the, it's like one of the only places that it's just mine. And I love it. I love the fact you love it. And I, you have to tell people about the cowboy boots. Yes. There were certain things I couldn't let go of. I kept one dress for special occasions because you never know when you're going to go to a wedding or something that, because most, mostly what I wear are jeans and t-shirts. I, uh, but I, I kept one dress and my boots. I couldn't, I couldn't let my boots go. And so I just put them on the top shelf next to I got like this old cutout of a wooden rabbit at a yard sale. And, um, and there were, there are a few things that I hung on to, but yeah. The well, our, our readers, our listeners have got to go read 
either on the website or in the magazine, the story and see the photo of your boots on the shelf. Because the minute I saw that when you sent your pictures in, I'm like, I love this woman, right? I mean, she's <laughs> she, she truly does surround herself with the things she loves the most. It doesn't matter how big it is, how grand it is, what it is. It's the, it's what is in your heart that you yeah. surround yourself with. And I have to say, I would love to meet your mother because I, as a mother, I was, I was a very insecure mother. I was always afraid I wasn't doing the right thing for my children. I should be doing more. I should be doing it different, whatever it was. And if one of my children would have gone in their closet and to draw in the closet, I would have been sure that they were going to be antisocial and unsuccessful for the rest of their life. <laughs> so I probably would have done everything in the world to get them out of there, right? Which yeah. when I hear your story, I think, oh my gosh, I wonder how many mistakes as mothers uh, we make when our children are doing something, you probably felt very safe, right? And you probably yeah. felt like you could do what you wanted in there. It was your space. Nobody could tell you what to do. I, when I read that, I had an entirely new perspective on life. I wish I would have read, I wish I would have known your story. My daughter is 44 years old and I wish I would have known your story then. She would have had a much easier life. Then oh. <laughs> I was always trying to make everything so perfect, right? The, yeah. perfect, the perfect bedroom, the perfect studio, the perfect whatever it was she wanted to do. So I think- I know with, with our son, I, um, I, I, I think when I made the commitment to follow my dream, I, we, we really wanted to encourage his. And so he was, when he was really young, he, he loved animals. That was his, that's why I called him the domestic zookeeper. He had so many animals and, and we at one point had um, found, we looked online and found um, like, I don't know if you've ever gone to a pet store and you see those giant aquariums. They're right. not aquariums. They're, they're like um, cabinets that have aquariums built in where they keep all the pets in them. Right. And we found a pet store that was getting rid of their wall units with the aquariums in them. And so we got rid of his bedroom furniture and we went and we replaced it with um, these wall units that you would find like at a, at, the, at a pet store. And he had so many animals. And at one point he charged admission to come into his zoo and, <laughs> and it was on his birthday and, and people were paying him to come in and, and spend time in his zoo because that's what he loved. And so we just ran with whatever he he wanted we're like if that's that's what your dream is then then let's go all in oh my gosh what a great mom and dad you are so what kind of animals were in the on the wall he had um snakes tarantulas crabs frogs mice um oh there were so many there was there, he had everything, like literally every guinea pigs and a cat and a dog and a, like just anything you can imagine he had. And it was, it was a lot. And, and I remember the snake got loose one time and then, 
and the tarantula, tarantula got loose and he woke us up in the middle of the night and he's like, Fang's escaped. And I'm like, I wonder how many other people are getting woken up at midnight to the news that Fang has escaped. And, and we go in his room and in Fang is the tarantula and we're looking for this tarantula and he stops and he goes, what, where would I go if I were a tarantula? He goes, tarantulas like caves. And so he looks in a pair of his boots and there was the tarantula in the bottom of the boot and he found it. And I thought, okay, we can go back to bed now. Like, thing has been found. So did he actually feed them and take care of them or did you have to help them? Absolutely. He did all of it. And he, um, I was, I was not a big pet person. And so it was all on him, but that was his joy. Like when he was in preschool, he went to, it was like a Waldorf inspired preschool and they had a lot of animals and the teacher would bring in worms for him to explore because he loved everything that moved. And, and most of the, like at the beginning of the class, the teacher would ask like, so what's your plan for today? And his plan was always to build a habitat for one of the animals, usually the turtles. And well, so how old is he now? He's 18 now. So, and what is he doing now? I mean, he's, 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 nope. He decided he didn't want to go off to college. So he, he's working, got a job. Um, He's uh, running and hosting at a restaurant, but he's also painting a lot. And so we have an easel in our living room that's become a permanent fixture and, and he's painting. And I, I think he's a wonderful artist. I know he loves animals and I'm, and he's a hard worker. Like he, from the time he was a little kid, we would take him, he, he had a recycling business and we would take him. And it was one of those, like you had to put one bottle in at a time. It wasn't like a place that weighed it. And we would literally spend hours there putting one bottle in at a time. And, and he saved up um, to get a permit to buy, ch- to get chickens. Cause you had to have a permit and he wanted chickens. And so like he, I knew he was a hard worker. So I wasn't worried about that part. And and I also knew he was a wonderful artist and he's a really good writer. He doesn't embrace that yet, but he, like when I went to, um, his artwork would come home and, and I would, I would frame it. And I, I just, there's something about it that's extraordinary to me. And it's, it's not, it doesn't really like his kindergarten teacher called me in for a parent teacher conference and she was showing me his art and I'm like drooling. I'm loving this. And, and, and then she shows me, she pulls out some of the other children's art and they all look the same. And his obviously is not the same. And she's like, so this is what he was supposed to do. And I said, I said, Oh, you're talking to the wrong person. I said, I adore what he has done here. And I said, I love the fact that it's different. I said, I'm an artist and I'm, you know, and, and so there, there just was something about it and, and to see him painting and, and exploring that is, does is he really paint makes me happy. Or does he, paint- oh, he, he paints um, more skeletons and it reminds me more of nightmare before Christmas that um, a little darker, a little, uh, I'm the light side and I'd say he's the dark side and, but, but it's interesting. It's, the the stuff he does is it fascinates me so oh that's wonderful I yeah my son when you talk about the restaurant business there is nothing that will teach him more than being in the restaurant business my son owns his own restaurant and it is the discipline and the feedback from customers and everything about the restaurant business people don't give it enough credit it's always Mm -hmm. like oh he's a waiter right 
that is the hardest job in the whole world. Yes. So he will learn yes. very valuable lessons there. And he may come to love it. Those people who have the restaurant business in their blood, I mean, it's a real thing. They're yeah. passionate about it, right? Yeah. No, he has a good time. And and my my question when I pick him up is always, okay, tell me about the, the craziest person that came in because <laughs> there are so many different people in this world. And, and he's getting to see like, He's getting to see that, that the variety people of, are all different. The variety. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, and some are so kind and so genuine and some are so mean and so brazen. It just, I, I was sometimes when I'm sitting in the restaurant and somebody will say something really mean, I can see Justin look at me like, don't you dare get up and go say something, ma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just want to spank them, right? They're so naughty. They act yeah, like- but, that's, but it's kind of like how we figure out the kind of person we want to be. We have to see all the different personality types that are out there. And you're like, oh, I don't want to be that person. So let me, you know, figure out how to do it differently. I want to be you. You are so wise and you're and and everything the way you view everything. I mean, I'm the one who wants to protect everybody, who wants to make sure everything's just perfect. You know, I could have taken some learned some very valuable lessons from you growing up. I wish I would have known you sooner. <laughs> I wish I would have known you sooner too because I am I am learning so much from you. And like I told you before we started, I have, I have watched, like I have listened to your podcasts and your interviews and your YouTubes and your, and I'm just like, I love, like when you were talking about having to make a video and you're like, I don't know how to make a video. And you're like, and so I cried and then I ran to get a milkshake and then I called my friend and I'm like, oh my God, I love that. Those are like the, the perfect steps, you know, to take in. And, and the fact that you had like, written so many books and um and like and you said something and I, I I have such a hodgepodge of where I've gotten all this information that I feel like it it could be like put together wrong but you had said something about you were doing these like cross-stitch books and all these how-to books and you needed like um someone to be able to do the designs and the drawings and the and so you had collaborated with another friend and and she had reached out and they were going to pay her like a hundred and some dollars for it. And you're like, you, you call them back and you tell them you'll, you won't take less than $500. And, and I'm just like, oh my gosh. And you talked about like having to put kid braces on your kids and like that the numbers had to work out and you had to be smart. And I'm, I'm like, oh, like hearing all of this, because I feel like I spent the first 50 years of my life figuring out how to do what I love. But as far as the, like having a business and making a living doing it, it has completely eluded me. And I think I got my money sense from my dad, who was like this world traveler. And, and he ended up in Mexico with a quarter and his friend had a quarter and, and the two of them, his friend went and bought three bananas with this quarter. And my dad went and put his quarter in the jukebox He's dancing around, listening to the music. And then, and then all of a sudden the music ends and he looks at his friend and he goes, can I have a banana? And his friend goes, no, you just wasted your quarter on the jukebox. And he goes, well, you got to listen to my music. And so, but it, it was like this, I got this, this poor financial sense, I think from my dad, but, um, oh. but my husband's like, you're the only person I know that can like have a penny and find a gumball machine. Like he goes, you don't have a, a, a penny on yet. And 
So I'm, I'm working on that part. And when I hear you talk about um, the business, making a living, doing what you love, I'm like, oof, I think there's something really important in that, well, the value. I, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Because sometimes I feel like, you know, I should have done, I should have taken a few more accounting classes and I should have taken a few more business classes. You know, it might, I might have made my life a little easier along the way, but um, so thank you for that. I appreciate that very, very much. I was, uh, when you, you know, I don't have very many regrets in my life. But I heard you say um, a little while ago in the conversation about the timing of things. You can't remember the timing of things. And the one thing that I really, I could never write a journal because I felt like I'd lived my life once. I couldn't live it twice. It was way too much for me. But I do wish that I had written on the days of the calendar what happened that was major, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I made those videos or or you know, all the things that happened that was crazy because when I tell the stories, I can't remember which came first either. It's yeah. there. It's just this jumbled. I can remember them and kind of in order by how old the kids were, right? Yeah. I can't remember the order either. Yes. So, okay. So this is the part of the podcast that I really hate the most. And that is when it comes to an end. Because you know you're always welcome. If you ever have a story you want to tell or a book, a new book that you're trying to promote or that you want to share with the audience, you know all you have to do is call me. You're always welcome. There is always a space for you. I just love the fact you're here. I love everything about you. I love your philosophy on life. I love what you create as your art. I love the fact you're sitting in your closet. I mean, I am, I am your biggest fan that you never knew you had, right? <laughs> Thank you. You're what welcome. a lovely thing. Well, it's, it's all true. So, but there are two things that I always ask at the end of the podcast. And one is um, a secret that you have that maybe everybody doesn't know that you would like to share with our listeners. Um, I don't have too many secrets in life anymore. There, there was a time that I did, but I have, there are two people in this world who know every last detail, the things I thought I would take to the grave. And so I didn't have any secrets, but I asked my husband yesterday, cause I just, I'm like, I don't know. And, <laughs> and I said, the last thing she's going to ask me is what's my biggest secret. And he goes, and I was sitting on the couch with the dog eating carrots and he goes, well, tell her how much you like carrots. And, <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't really know that that's a secret, but, but I did, there was a time in my life where all I ate was carrots and my parents for my high school graduation bought me a refrigerator for my bedroom and they filled it with 50 pounds of carrots. And I literally ate so many carrots that I turned orange. And there is this poor child out there that I used to babysit for that I think I, I have altered his idea of the color wheel and what colors certain things are because he looked at me and he said, you're orange. And I said, no, I'm not. And so he's probably still trying to figure out what color orange is then. Oh, Rachel, you are hilarious. I love you. Really. If you ever need somebody to talk to in an afternoon, would you just call me? Because I would love to. I would love to. <laughs> I haven't had this much fun for really, really a long time. Okay. So this one might be kind of um, silly for you because this is what, 
I feel about quotes or short sentences or something because I think the most, I think that's why I love your books so much is I think the most difficult thing we attempt to do in the in a lifetime, at least for me, is to say something very profound in very few words. I mean, I, I hope against hope that when I'm writing things for the magazine, that in 2000 words, I can say one little profound thing that people will remember. But every single page of what you write is very profound. But I like everybody to tell us that listeners, their favorite quote or their favorite saying or something that you've written because I think it speaks volumes in very, in a very few words, speaks volumes about who you are as a person. So will you share, I'm sure you have hundreds, but will you share one? Yes, I think that my favorite quote um, that I come back to time and time again is by E.E. E. Cummings. And it's the quote that says, it takes courage to grow up and become who you really are. And then the only thing I would add to that is there is no one in this world more perfect to live your dream than you, because I truly believe we are all here for a reason. And there's a calling on our heart that we need to honor. Well, you are an amazing soul. I think I will write, if you wouldn't mind writing that and sending it to me, I would love it in your handwriting and I'll put Absolutely. it on my board. That's my yes. request. If you it yes. doesn't have to be illustrated or anything, just in your handwriting so that it's by you, right? I love that. The only disappointment that I have during our podcast from the kitchen table is when our time is over for today. It is such an honor for me to be able to create a moment for each of us to be together, to share our stories. I can promise you, and you can trust me, no matter how easy these guests make the journey appear, it wasn't. They each started by taking the first step, together and alone, frightened and inspired, ready or not, each one moving ever forward, simply doing what they love to do, and that is create. Because we are a community which is based on our support of one another, please remember to leave a review Leave a review, not only for these magazines, but for each other. It is a small investment of your time and yet an enormous gift to each of our guests that are working so very hard to be the best they can be in their chosen field. If you have any questions or want to know more, please visit womencreate.com. As you know, I am a lover of quotes and to end this chapter of From My Kitchen Table, I want to share my favorite quote with you. And that is, I love each of you and all of you with a thousand hearts. Until our next From My Kitchen Table, stay safe, keep notes, and take lots of pictures. Well, thank I you. Can't, I can't thank you enough. I can't offer enough in the future. If you ever need me, I'm always here, as is this whole community, which is what I love about this community. You know, you can reach out at any time. And I mean, I reach out to people like you who are total strangers and ask you to work. You have to write your articles to be in my magazine. You have to spend your time being on the podcasts. I mean, you don't get paid. I hope you realize how many lives you've touched by doing that. And um, it is a, a, an authentic and very sincere honor to be part, a very tiny, tiny part of your creative life. Thank so, you. Well, you're welcome, of course.